Hello and welcome to the GLT podcast series with the Greenshaw Learning Trust and Friends Book Club, where we talk all things teaching and learning with leading educationalists across the world. My name is Rhiannon Rainbow. And my name is Dave Tushingham. This is a place to enjoy listening to organic conversations between teachers and authors, a journey in bringing the latest evidence-based literature into the classroom. Uh, hi everyone and welcome to um, the GLT Book Club collaboration uh, with the Above and Beyond podcast. Uh, so I'm Joe Ambrose, uh, I'm the Senior School Improvement Leader uh, for Greenshaw Learning Trust. Uh, we've got uh, Dave Tushingham who is a uh, Lead Practitioner of Maths and host of the uh, GLT Book Club and we've got Ree Rainbow who's a School Improvement Leader uh, for Maths and the other host of the GLT Book Club. Um, so the purpose of this podcast, uh, this purpose of this session, is to sort of um, uh, punctuate the end of our season ones uh, to talk about uh, the reasons why we've we've done what we're doing, um, the aims of the project, and any reflections that we've uh, that we've had, uh, and any similarities between the two projects as well. The format of this is going to be that we have um, some questions that people have asked us, um, some some frequently asked questions, and we're going to approach those questions um, for both projects. So, um, l- l- let's get started. Um, the first question, um, and I'm going to direct this one uh, to you, Ray, is w- what's the aim of the project? What was the aim of the GLT Book Club? Well, I suppose it's, it's evolved slightly as we've moved along in the past two years. But in- initially, it was to a way of connecting with other maths teachers across our trust and looked a look at the, re- uh, the rich literature that's out there and what we can learn from it. Um, to help improve our practice in, in, in our schools and our own classrooms. But then we very quickly found, because it was, it was it was during lockdown really, that we launched it and people were used to working remotely, that there was a demand for it beyond maths and also beyond our trust. Um, and so what it has become, I think, more concrete in my own mind what the aim of it is, is to try and remove as many barriers as possible for all of our colleagues in whatever role they're involved in in education or whatever interests that they have in it, try and remove as many barriers as possible for them to engage with the utter wealth of of books and literature that we have out there at the moment that can feel quite intimidating, especially, and, and, and we can sometimes collect them on our bookshelves because we don't have the time to engage with it. So it's, it's helping to give a bit of a gateway, I suppose, into a whole range of rich literature that we have um, in educational pedagogy from a whole, um, a, a wide variety of perspectives and just dip into it a little bit, find out a bit more about it. That might be enough for somebody or they might want to go even further with it. So would you think that was fair, Dave? Uh, absolutely, and uh, and something which um, sort of really sticks with me is when we we sort of went into lockdown and, and uh, that uncertain period. It was um, the the trust had done an exceptional job of providing resources for for students, and we had this online curriculum, and it was incredible. And and just sat down uh, one evening, just thinking about how how we need to look after our staff too, and there's there's something that we can do here to to really support that development because we can't practice in the classroom, and, and we're going to forget, um, you know, the forgetting curve. We're going to forget some of the techniques maybe that we we use day to day, and and just giving some sort of resource back to the community to be able to to support staff to progress whilst not being able to be in the classroom. I thought was really important. So, so the for the uninitiated, uh, for above. 
haven't yet uh, worked uh, with GLC uh, and listened to and watched the GLC book club. What are the nuts and bolts of it? So, does everyone have to read a whole book every time there's a book club uh, session? So, um, they, they don't know. We, we provide a, a short extract because um, something that's uh, a common theme that's coming out of a lot of the books that we're reading is about um, how, how we make progress, and, and that's um, done quite um, sort of in a granular way. It's, um, we, we find these small action steps, and, and so the idea is to take, a, to take a book to look very specifically at a small extract and have a very specific focus. Um, and then have a discussion around that with the expert in the room so that we can learn how we can translate that into classroom practice. And at the end, we would um, invite somebody to, to offer their takeaway, uh, what's the one thing that they're going to try um, since um, after that session. But um, you don't need to have read it at all. Um, you can just join, you can just listen, um, or you can read the extract, you can read beyond, um, because it's, it's um, designed to cater for all, and, and so, so it gives that opportunity for people to, to dip in and out as suits them. There's a shortcut in there, which which is, is is I think similar across both of our both of our projects here, which is you need to find an expert and you need to get them to give you a a, um, a, a snackable piece of what they've learned, right? And that's part of the above and beyond projects, I think, as well. We one of the things that um, again for book club uh, fans who haven't listened to above and beyond. Uh, above and beyond is we interview leaders outside of secondary comprehensive education. Um, and so uh, directors, creative directors, MPs, superintendent, uh, police officers, a whole range of different people who are outside of, leaders outside of secondary comprehensive education and tell them what, what, what they've learned about, about leadership. I think there's a, there's a, there's a shortcut there from, from, from leaders. You want to know... You basically, you basically want to jump all the mistakes that they've made and find out the things that really uh, work. So in, in, in book club, um, did you have, so you, you mentioned that you had some people that are in maths. You started it with it being a maths club, but it expanded to other areas as well. Um, so is there some just books about leadership in there, really, or is it just pedagogical books? Oh, we, we're building up the repertoire all of the time. So we have maths, English, science, PE, um, we've got stuff for ECTs, we've got leadership, pedagogy, curriculum, um, we're, we're going into behaviour, <clears throat> we are building on it all the time. We had, um, uh, we, we did a women ed book the other week as well, because all of these, in all of these individual pieces link together in, in the complex lattice work that is what we are doing in schools all of the time so we are adding to the repertoire yes it was mainly about maths but maths and pedagogy but alternating but very quickly went went beyond that and i think i remember it was will smith our ceo talking in one of our shared services meetings about the fact that if we stay in our own lane or in our own circle in the venn diagram then it's a bit of an echo chamber but it's when we move to the boundaries and the intersections and into those gray areas beyond our normal expertise, where we can really learn from others and how we can take those aspects and consider what that means for us and, and how we can develop ourselves in, in our regions as well. So that's what we do. I've learned an, an incredible amount from other subject specialist sessions as well and how I can interpret that and take that into my own subject and, and how I work and also my awareness and appreciation of other colleagues across across our community that because um, I, I don't know what it's like to be in their shoes. 
Yeah, I, I, there's definitely an uncomfortable feeling, I, I, and that's that's the uncomfortable feeling of learning, isn't it? It feels difficult sometimes. You're like, Phew, okay, this thing really surprised me, or this is a new thing. And this, this segues quite nicely into the second question that we've received, which is around what surprised you the most about the project. So um, I'm just going to say a few of my reflections, then I'll hand over to, to you, Dave. Something that surprised me a lot is around the leaders that I interviewed. So I, I interviewed, you know, what I previously, and this might have been a stereotype here, um, there was a number of um, uh, leaders who I thought were potentially stereotypically quite macho. So we've got a house builder, um, uh, you know, a superintendent, um, you know, people who I think previously, you know, again, I may have stereotyped as someone who was, who was going to tell me a certain thing. I thought what those people were going to tell me were, you need to be a strong leader, you need to stick by your decisions, you need to, you know, you need to show your teeth sometimes, and it's, sometimes it's all right to be, um, you know, to, to, to be uh, tough, and you come to work to, uh, you don't come to work to make friends, it's done. I went into it thinking, this is what, this is what these people are going to be like, and every single leader that I interviewed um, talked about how that was a very unsuccessful and old-fashioned way of doing things. Um, one of the um, leaders said, he described it as bang-on-the-table leadership, right? He was like, you know, in, in 1985 when I was building houses, the directors would come in and be like, this needs to be done now. And he said, yeah, it worked quite, quite well for a short amount of time. Um, but then people were like, I'm not going to work here anymore. <laughs> yeah, it, it has very good short-term results and very poor long-term results. Um, and um, something that uh, 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 I reflected on, which is sort of, I'll come to patterns in a bit, something that I reflected on was around this, this quote, which is about, if you want results in the short term, intensity is what you need to go for, but if you want results in the long term, consistency is what you need to go for. And every leader told me that. I went into these interactions thinking that people were going to tell me that you needed to be tough and you needed to challenge. What they talked about was... Be kind, setting up systems, having a very clear vision, um, and and respecting diversity of, of thought. Um, what, Dave? What, what about with the with the uh, different authors that, that you interviewed, or with the project itself? What surprised you the um, most? Well, for me, is um, I mean, you could tell from the tones of, of the book that um, you had um, people working with absolute humility and, and the generosity um, to to just sort of write and share, and, and there's so many free resources out there um, too that these. Um, experts are offering, but it was the level of generosity, I think, um, with very busy people, how much time um, they were willing to offer, how much extra they were willing to do for us. We've had um, authors that have, have written um, for us as we start to sort of transcript our notes and, and try to make a little bit more um, sense out of, of what we've heard. Um, we've had um, authors come and join us for, for conferences where we've delivered a mass conference, for example, and they've come and, and joined us and, and talked uh, about their book at a conference with us. They've um, they sort of edited uh, pieces of work that we've done where we're trying to, you know, as, as I say, write and, and make sense of, of some of the stuff we're doing. Um, and, and that really surprised me because um, they're such busy people and, and so to, to offer this um, for, for no charge um, just because it's going to serve the community. Uh, Mary Myatt, for example, um, had a meeting with us beforehand and supported us in terms of setting up and, and the, the structure of the book club and, and that's really something that they, they simply didn't need to do and, and they have so much else on um, 
to, to give up that time I thought was incredible and it just made me think about sort of you know how good good can be I think Ben Parnell um, said that once in a we are in Vita and and it really stuck with me know how good good can be and and it's um, yeah just uh, what surprised me is how how much we could do um, you know the the where the where the ceiling was in in what we could achieve here and um, and, and then the last thing that surprised me is going to sound a little bit arrogant, it really doesn't need to be, but I thought I knew what I was doing um, it, as a teacher. And I really, the, the more I learn, and they, they all say it um, as well in, in every session, every author I think has said, um, the more I realise I don't know. As the more you get, the more knowledge you pick yeah. up, the more you realise there's five or six other connections that you see and you don't know now. And yeah, and it's really sort of, um, yeah, it makes you feel very humble, but, but those things really surprise me. Is it, is it called the Dunning-Kruger effect, I think? If you know a little bit about something, you think, I know everything, and then the more you find out about it, you're like, yeah. oh, man, like, I don't know much yeah. about this at all. Um, what about you, Ree? What really surprised you about, um, about the project? Uh, I'd, I'd echo what Dave said about the generosity of the authors. I mean, who knew? Who knew that by... We launched in the autumn. Who knew that by the December we'd have our first session with a live author and a huge thanks to Mark McCourt for being our first one there and to, to, to Peter Mattock to be in the first author that said, oh, I see you're talking about my book. Do you mind if I come along as well? Because that's something we hadn't considered. So we have we've tried to stay agile but also true to who our audience are and, and, and what we said earlier on about the aim of the project. And, and what has surprised me, I suppose, is... I see, I do so much, all of this is done virtually, but when I'm out and amongst people in 3D and we're at conferences or in schools or talking to other educationalists, they're like, oh yeah, you run that book club. So people do listen, people do use it. Some of our membership are so generous with the amount of support, with doing sketch notes, especially Karen Hancock, or the takeaways where people come back and do them again for us. And it's, this is brilliant. So what surprised me is, is that real sense of community I'm getting from those that engage with and enjoy and, and dip into in whatever way works best for them. Because that's what it's about. It's about removing as many barriers as possible. And I've, I've just had this sense of community from everybody involved that I hadn't considered as being a huge perk and, a, and an important part of it at the beginning either. And I think it was Robin McPherson talked a lot about those professional networks and how that important and how important that is. And for me, I have learned so much through this professional network. It's it's been incredible. If you put um, I, th I think the intent of projects like this, where it is so patently about improving others, you guys don't make any money from it. It's it's um, you know, it, it, it's it's taking a lot of time. Um, to do it, and you guys are, are gaining a bit from learning from it, but ultimately, you know, it's not it, its not making you money, it's for learning. I think people can see the intent of, the, of that sort of thing and like to get involved in it. They understand that you're putting a lot of work into it, and they understand that um, that, that also, so they're happy to do it. So removing barriers for them, for them to take part in it, plus removing barriers for others to learn from it is, is so important. You mentioned at the beginning there about, uh, you know, the, the first author that came, that and um, the, the next question we've got is, is around big, big challenges. Um, I found that there was a sort of, uh, it's not really a tipping point, but I don't know that you guys might be able to help me out with this. Um, I, sub, I think it was a, probably a direct correlation about how easy it was to get guests on and how many other guests I'd previously got on. So I can now send emails to people saying, hey, we, I'd love to, you to take part in this. The previous people I've had on this podcast are 
the MP Richard Graham, Laura McInerney, ex you know editor of Schools Week, um, Anne Spatman, the, the 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 chief editor, the previous chief editor of the of the Times newspaper, and they say, okay, yeah, oh, I'll I'll do it. But at the beginning, it was really hard because. I think every man and his dog like wants to start a project, but continuing a project is quite is quite hard. So my biggest challenge was at the beginning um, getting people to come along to it. Um, I don't know about I don't know about you guys. Ree, what, what's been your biggest challenge during the um, uh, during the project? Um, I think initially it was finding our way and finding how we how we wanted to do it, especially when very early on we had um, Mark McCourt join us in that December and ever since every single session we've had, we have been joined by the author, by the expert. And as you said, this is done for free. We have no budget. Everybody does this for for the benefits of for the benefits of others. And what what we found was actually Mary Myatt said that when you when you write your book, you're you're on your own in a room and you, you hope that it it helps others. So this is an opportunity for them to hear how other people are still using it and engage with it in in a way that they, they, they can be really proud of at the same time. Um, but challenges, I suppose, are trying to make sure that we are, that we keep going, we keep that momentum. Initially, getting the authors in was tricky. But as you say, now we've got a list. It's, it's easier because we have the momentum of the previous sessions we've had and other people want to be involved and, and are also really happy to return. It's it's fitting it all in is a real challenge because we, we yeah. want to do the best for the authors and for our members and there's quite a lot involved in running them. <laughs> but yeah. we love it and we really enjoy it. And at the same time, we're trying to make sure, another challenge, Dave, isn't it, is is trying to make sure that we hear as many voices as possible. Um, and because there are new authors, there are established authors, there are new ideas coming out all the time. And there are so many educational books at the moment. It is, it is quite an incredible market. So can I ask, I'm gonna ask uh, Dave, if this is okay about this, that specific point. Um, I would say that the, the three of us and our multi academy trust has a um, comes from a certain side of educational thinking. So, we'll probably describe us as reasonably trad, right? Um, uh, that's sort of our approach. Uh, how do you feel about getting people on who say things that are completely opposite to what you believe about education? You know, is that a challenge? Um, it, I mean, it can be um, in in so much as um, we for what our, our belief systems are for for what's going to to help those students to progress, but. I think um, that sort of trumped by um, this feeling of um, an, an absolute need for um, social justice and inclusivity. And so um, if we're going to support everybody in their journey um, for, for progression um, as, um, as practitioners, then, then we need to be providing a really true um, set, of, set of sessions. And, and that I've got noted down here, um, as Ree was talking, I absolutely echo everything that Ree's saying. And the big challenge for us, I think, is the diversity and the inclusivity. Um, to, to try and um, engage as, as many different thinkers as possible because even if you don't agree um, with per particular viewpoints, um, I, I think um, by being really open to those ideas, that's how you truly learn, um, to, to really understand where those viewpoints are coming from, what the evidence is behind those viewpoints, where the experiences um, lie that have created those viewpoints. That's how you're really going to understand what you think and where your moral compass lies, where your belief system lies, and, and where your your pedagogical ideas then um, would develop. 
Yeah, I, 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 I haven't faced that yet. Um, but I do wonder what I would do if someone said something which I think is completely opposite to my experience of leadership. Or if someone said something about schools, which I just know to be, to be not true. The other thing I was quite conscious about is something that irks me quite a lot is that very simplified version of the public sector and the private sector. Private sector equals efficient, well-run. Public sector equals inefficient, poor quality people who work there. And I was quite prepared about that going into a lot of these meetings. And again, no one said that. There's not. We've got a CEO of a pretty big supermarket who's coming on season two. And he said that exact thing. He was like, happy to do this as long as you know that business doesn't just teach education, you know, teachers don't just learn from business people, business people learn from teachers as well. So I just wonder what that would be, um, yeah, what what, what that would be like if I had someone who I had a really strongly disagree with. I hope to be inspired by you two about that, about about listening and and taking as much as I as I can from that. I I wonder... yeah, Sorry, no, yeah, go on, because I think that's a really interesting point because there have been times, there's been what, nearly 50 sessions and so there have been times where I've thought the complete opposite and I think it's, um, for me it's about coming from a background of learning um, so coming from a sort of, you know, a, a central point of learning um, and so if I'm in that conversation rather than thinking about do I agree or disagree um, listening to that point and then considering it from a viewpoint of well, where does that point come from and, and what has created that point um, then whether I agree or disagree becomes a little bit irrelevant in the conversation then for me and it's more about understanding their thoughts and their processes and I'm going to get something from that even though I can walk away then and go well I'm going to make my decision now this is how I feel I don't agree with the point I can still get a lot from the conversation um, and, and hopefully others, other people are too because it gives them something to think about and um, Doug Lemoff said something that I thought was um, really interesting on that, that he gets lots of people disagreeing, but if they're disagreeing with what he's writing, then they're engaged in the conversation. And that's sort of what I want to yeah. do, and that's what we really, um, want to do with the, with the book club, is just engage people in that conversation. So it's a bit, it's almost like trying to hold back an opinion and, and just sort of foster in that conversation so that we can all have our own reflections and, and progress um, as individuals as well. That seems like a really great lesson to have learned from from from, from Doug, a uh, uh, personal hero of mine. I love that guy. Um, uh, I wonder what other lessons you guys have picked up. What what are the sort of standout lessons um, from the people that that you've spoken to, Ree? If you want to, if you want to start there. Oh, that's that's oh, oh, oh that's huge. There have been yeah. there have been so many things. I suppose what what I've learned is that they are all so open to that learning process being both ways. And it's, it's as Dave's already said, it is such a humbling experience for, for me to, to hear them and to be able to learn so many things. And, and that, that huge opportunity that we've had to be at the center of all of these different conversations, the center of that web. And what, what I've learned is actually some of the feedback that we've had from our authors with how much they've enjoyed it and how much they've appreciated it to hear how people are engaging in it or to engage with it in a different way. And that it's, you know me, I'm I'm a math subject specialist. I'm I'm looking for patterns all the time. And Mm. there have just been so many things that we've been involved with. But for me, the main pattern is 
they really, our authors really like to talk about their books. They are all so generous and so giving and so helpful. Once, if you see them on Twitter or you see their websites and you see everything they're sharing. And, 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 and I think we had one author recently who said he can't wait for his, his um, copyright to run out on this book with this publishing company so we can just share it for free. And because that because that's the nature of who we're working with. And yeah. and I hadn't realized that when I first went to research ads, I was thinking I was literally going to it was my first ever research ad presenting, seeing these people in person for the first time because of lockdown. I was walking around with my program and collecting all of the different speakers and all of these different people that we've engaged with. And I've and I've read the books of and every time I met them, they just reassured me that we are normal people. <laughs> And so for me, the patterns are that these are people in our community and we are all working together for the benefit of everybody. And that has been the main overarching pattern for me. And I, I, because that's the angle that I've come at it from. I don't know. what. I think, it... yeah, there's a, there's, a, there's a crossover here between these two projects. So you mentioned that the, the authors love to talk about their books. And I wonder if, I'm, I'm just presuming this, but they're, they're less comfortable talking about themselves, potentially, uh, and more comfortable talking about their books. And that's something I saw in the leaders, actually. Um, again, one of the things I thought is that there would be a big ego piece. Um, and actually, uh, uh, for, for Book Club, but also for Above and Beyond. Um, and I've not seen that at all. There are lots of, in fact, one of the patterns I spotted was that they talked about um, uh, uh, the, the, the importance of leaders searching for the truth and it not being about themselves. And th this came from um, Sir uh, Richard Minger, who's a, a senior member of the Salvation Army. He said, um, he calls it um, purpose over preference. So he's like, your purpose and the purpose of your congregation has got to be not your personal preference. Where we're in organisations where personal preference, there's a, there's a sort of cult of leader where just because Joe says, I don't like that person, everyone else then decides they don't like that person, or just because Joe says this needs to be blue rather than red, it happens. So, so it's called a purpose over preference, or outcome over ego, people often call it. Um, uh, that the People are interested in the work, the team, the organisation, and are less interested in themselves. They understand their role in it. So they understand that the leadership is a responsibility rather than a position that you get trappings, you get a nice parking space and you get your own office. It's a responsibility and the responsibility of leadership is that you make sure that your team and your organisation and that work that you're doing um, is of really high quality. That's what drives the most excellent leaders. It seems like there's, a, there's an interaction between, between that and what you guys have seen, that people love talking about their books. People I've talked to love talking about their organisations and their teams and are less comfortable themselves. Um, uh, uh, um, are there any other patterns that, that you sort of spotted? Any big lessons that you've learned? Um, so yeah, I've just jotted down a few as you were talking there. Um, and the first one is um, is from uh, something from Mary Myatt, which is "done is better than perfect." Um, so the idea that we can take a long time doing something and really want to get it right, but actually we just need to get it out there, and then we can work on it together. And and, and actually, um, yeah, we we sometimes spend a little bit too long trying to get it perfect and, and, and miss opportunities. And another one um, from our, our Women Ed um, session was to be 10% braver. Um, and, and all of the authors have talked about, go and put your stuff out there, go and, and that's how you're really gonna learn, by, by taking those risks. That culture of error, I guess, is uh, one of the TLACs, isn't it, that, um, that people talk about. And, um, and sort of being able to, 
you know, embrace risk, embrace failure, and think of the, the, the positive journey um, that you're on when, when something doesn't quite go right. Um, being, being brave about what you're doing. And, and then another one that came out um, through lots of the sessions um, was about an action step and, and sort of taking things that I've said already, um, sort of just taking one small step at a time, making sure you've got that right before you move on to the new one. Try not to take on too much because um, your working memory isn't going to be able to hold on to, to many pieces of information. Um, and then the last one I, I jotted down was um, to practice something, and this was David Didas, so I framed it in this way, I just think it's wonderful, but um, to practice something not until you can do it, but until you, you can't not do it. Um, and, and that was something that I felt come out through lots of the sessions too. Um, so, so yeah, these are just sort of running yeah. themes and patterns that I've seen in terms of the specifics. That 10% brave is so interesting because um, you won't see this in the, in the Above and Beyond podcast, but what we, one of the things I encountered was, a, I mean, this is outside of, there's a couple of people who've been in journalism, so we're pretty happy to do, to speak, um, but a nervousness about putting their ideas out there, um, which, which people might call imposter syndrome or whatever. These, these really, these people who've had years and years of outcomes in whatever field, they they uh, they have, but but people who are not sure that they're, you know, a couple of people are actually persuaded to be like, well, why would people want to listen to me? But, okay, because you run a you run a major bank. If people are interested in that, or you know, you're a, you're a leading professor, or you know, or, or you run um, you're you're an executive director and you run a, a one of the, the the most effective charities in the UK. Like, it's it seems so unusual that people have to do that, but you know, I think all three of us. I certainly felt that, and I don't know if, if when you started this project, there was a nervousness re around around being on camera, being on, uh, be, being recorded. I don't know. I certainly felt a little bit nervous around it all the time. Uh, there, there really was before, and especially if we use a new platform, for example, or there's a slight change to it, my cognitive load is absolutely taken up to its full capacity with that. I still get nervous now, and I think yeah. we did a, a small pilot project um, with Pearson on a case study at one of our schools recently, and it was only then did I realise actually how much more used to talking like this that I am and being in front of a camera or on a microphone, and some of my colleagues who were involved in it weren't and that's something for me to be more aware of in these situations and you know some of our authors have been much more used to it than others but hopefully we've when they've done it and we've provided that safe space have they also been able to say oh yeah I, I quite like this I can do that and, and I'd like to do it again so there's definitely a part of that isn't it it's that well why do people yeah. want to listen to me well because you've got so much that we could benefit from yeah, the, the, I, I, it's just it's interesting that that is a big pattern that we've seen across not only us three but across all of the, our guests and, and people that we people that we've uh, interviewed. Um, final question here, um, and, and we decided to uh, include this one um, because it's one that we get asked quite a lot, and and it's quite tough. Um, and the question is, what's the impacts of these of these projects? So, uh, Dave, I don't know if you want to start with this one, the impact of, of GLT. I don't want to start with it, no. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, the answer is I don't know. Um, it, it's a really hard thing to, to pin down um, what the impact is because it's so many steps removed from the student outcomes, what we're doing here, um, that, that to be able to confidently attribute the book club to the success of the students in our trust, I think, um, would, would be... Um, yeah, a little bit dishonest um, if, if I was to say, yeah, that's that's had those impacts there. But um, 
but you can you can sort of get um, different measures. You can get anecdotally. You can see people using it. You can see how classroom practice has changed. And so, so within within my trust, um, sorry, within my academy, within the trust, um, there there is a, a, a sort of sign of, um, of of things changing in the classroom. People, um, their teachers, sort of teaching in a way that. Um, that does look one small step at a time, uh, breaking those um, sort of lessons down, those those, um, those pieces of knowledge down. Um, one thing that, that has come out specifically is about becoming sort of more expert um, and, and how experts think differently to novices. I know we talked at Research Ed in one of the sessions about this, how um, experts will be looking forward and looking to make those links and novices may be looking backwards at the process and just making sure that they're they're sort of comfortable with that, and and something that I've observed within my academy is um is, is more of that sort of quality teaching happening, but but it's all a little bit anecdotal, and, and so in terms of getting the true impact, I think um we're we're in a process at the moment um with Re as well of of trying to sort of contact leaders and um, and people who have used the book club to see how it's sort of really had that positive effect on on classroom practice, and and what I what I think is um really important um. With, with the impact is um, of what we're doing is that we've got this really sort of open um, resource and so so it's almost like um, there will be other people measuring the impact too. Um, so, so we provide this sort of blank canvas for people to dip in and out of but some senior leaders might be using this as a more compulsory measure. It might be that it's been used for instructional coaching or non-instructional coaching and, um, and at that level um, then impact will be measured and so I think it's almost sort of it feels like I'm sort of uh, passing the question on a bit, but it will be then for other people to answer to say, well, I've used this resource and, and hopefully by giving this resource to people um, and, and having this true diversity in there for people to be able to use and, and improve their practice, they could then measure that impact themselves as well. I, I think that that reflection is, is a really sensible one. Um, we can spend a lot of resource and time on measuring, you know, quant quantitative impact on things but if they're multi-causal then they're also you know if there's, if there's many things that feed into it even within a school right even if you are the raising standards leader of that school a raising standards leader can can move the needle um, and and certainly can 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 improve and, and coordinate outcomes for year 11 let's say but like you can't attribute the outcomes entirely to raising standards leaders as much as you can't attribute them to school buildings or um, local community or maths teachers or English teachers or head teachers, you know, or, or heat or anything. It's multi-causal. And so all you can do is do what you think is the right thing to do. Take some best bets. Update your thinking on that. And our best bets have been that we think there are these really great things that people who don't always have a platform want to say to the community. Um, and we've got the capacity um, to be able to share these ideas out to the community. And so the negatives of that, you know, it's going to be, if, if no one ever listened to either of our projects, the worst thing that's going to happen is we, we, we spent a bit of our time doing it, but, but us three have learned some things from it. So the worst thing that's going to happen is us three will have learned a load of things. Okay, that's not the end. But the best thing that can happen is that the education community can change their practice, change their thinking, and we save them time. On directing them to the to the place that they that they um, that they might change the way that they teach, the way that they lead, the way that they are. So so I think chasing impact 
um, is, is, can be very, very challenging. And so we can just really uh, have a common sense approach to what we think is, is the impact of things. Um, but yeah, I agree, it's challenging. And people will often challenge us about that. Well, what, you know, what's the impact of it? Well, we think it's potentially this, but, but we don't know. Um, yeah, Ri, I don't know if you've got any reflections uh, impact-wise. Well, for me, I suppose if we think about a measure of school, one of the one of the measures of impact of success is that you get more students coming in year on year. Mm. For us, people still keep listening. Yeah. Guest authors keep coming back. New authors join us. Um, the community is still engaging. They wouldn't do it if they didn't feel it benefited them and that they were seeing the impact in whatever, with whatever metric that they are using, it's having an impact. It's, it's having a positive, uh, you know, it, it's being a positive influence and they keep coming back. That's enough for me.